This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Gate for September 28th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined alongside my co-host and friend, Case Lowe. And Case, we were just talking about on it before we got on air. Just like, it, it, it's, been a, it's been a week, I would say. It, it, it's been a week, but how are you doing? I'm good. I haven't been attacked by any animals, and I think that's what Mike was telling me right before we started recording. So... You know, we get so swept up in, in the daily grind of life that sometimes we forget to take into account if no one has tried to kill us in the day, then I think we're doing all right. So therefore, I'm doing all right. To be clear, I was more complaining about the dog trying to pee on me than kill me. But, you know, spiritual death, spiritual death. Like, how would I be able to look the dog in the eye if it, if it peed on me like that, if it marked its territory as my leg? Like, there's no coming back from that, right? Do, do you know what a, I think I'm using this term correctly, pardon my straight edge ignorance, but do you know what an ego death is? Of course, yes. I, yeah, I took an I, intro to psychology class in my time. <laughs> I, that just, that made me, uh, I, look, I, I'm, I'm not exactly familiar with this. I know uh, Mike enjoys partaking in the occasional recreational use of certain substances. For me, personally, not my thing. I was in a history of the 1960s class one year in college. I took it because I, I thought I hated hippies, and I just wanted to be sure that I did. 15 weeks later, yeah, I really hate hippies. <laughs> Great justification. Great justification. Oh, it was fantastic. I, we, I had to give this final presentation on like, what I learned in the class, and what I learned was that these people fucking sucked. I hate, I hate this generation of people. Um, but we had some old guy come in and talk about how we should all try acid and mushrooms in our life, and he was going on about like tantric sex and whatnot and i i look i'm not over here pearl clutching saying it was inappropriate or whatever of course did i have some playful banter with the lady in front of me of course i did this was a this was a woman who i once said uh her going to an art school was like if lebron james showed up to play basketball at the ymca she was on another level of beauty that i just didn't think was fair to the rest of the students there I was full of witty banter every Monday night with her during this history of the 1960s class. But 
he was he was just preaching drug use in a way that bothered the the very aggro straight edge person inside of me and that was the night that i learned about ego deaths because some girl who i didn't know raised her hand in the middle of class it was like so i just recently experienced an ego death what do i do about it and then i had to listen to this dude talk about tripping on drugs for a half hour and i was pretty (laughs) salty afterwards i'm not gonna lie like it was it was it was art school flying too close to the sun i was very self-aware of the environment i was in i tolerated a lot of it that certainly crossed the line of like what the fuck am i doing here i don't like any of these people i i mean it it's something like like the fact that one you took a class to confirm your slights against a generation of people i'm I'm all for i am <laughs> yeah. all for that too the, the 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 fact that like there's always like someone and it's the same thing in like in film programs i've been they're like everyone else and it's not just that and i'm not saying this to be dismissive whatsoever but everyone else like there's a certain vibe a certain look uh for people who go to film school like just like there is like yes <laughs> yes there, there is a certain vibe there but there's always someone and in mine it, it was just it was this guy that i'm like what are you doing here you could go be like a model man like what is your deal you have it all together why do you want to sit here and talk about heaven's gate with us like what is your deal so the fact that you had your own like high fidelity like art school moment there you know that's pretty par for the course and no never have experienced ego death very familiar with it yeah uh, hey i'm 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 glad to hear that i'm glad that you're still uh the mike spears that you were born born and raised we're here we're here to talk about dragon gate and uh a little a little dragon system buffet would you say this week yeah uh i will say that I will, oh yes before... you, you got attacked by an animal do you need to finish that story no 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 okay, my, right. my, my 10 month old dog tried to pee on me <laughs> like well oh, yes that is an attack case Thank Look, you. Hey, hey you win some you lose some my man i don't know what to tell you <laughs> yeah 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 luckily i remained dog urine free but it was enough of a moment for me to be like all right uh take a step back one he's probably ready to you know get the deal taken care of and two going gotta watch my legs gotta watch my legs gotta protect the gams out there yeah, hey, that's look, as someone that just partied with you at a barbecue, your legs easily one of your best physical features. Hey, I, I'm a short guy, and I will always be a short guy. You know, soccer legs never die. Soccer that's, legs that's never That's admirable, die. because I, once I turned about 19, I was like, I don't think I should wear shorts in public anymore. And I know... I know I'm husky. I, I would not say I'm I'm obese by any means, but I, I'm a bigger guy with a naturally bigger frame, and I haven't exactly done anything to curb my post high school athletics weight gain I, I, I but it's not like a it's not like a weight thing it's not like a look thing i just i'm not doug heffernan from the king of queens i don't feel like i need to leave the house wearing shorts it almost feels inappropriate i think it's because it's something that i've gotten into in-depth conversations about i think there is a level of regionalism but at the same time I was the person that like, or I was the kid that was going to school and it was like 40 degrees out in shorts. So oh, like, those are bad people. I wish I didn't yeah. know that about you. Oh, oh, oh no. And, and this was at an age where I was not making my clothing uh, choices. This was like elementary school going there. And it was like 40 degrees. And my mom was like, okay, w- w- we set out your clothes the day before. Like, yeah. Okay. That that was a bad move. I brought you your jacket to come home. I'm sorry. So it it that maybe like ingrained itself on me, case in a little bit that it's like this, but it's also something that like, hey, I've spent the vast majority of my life in either the Southwest or the Deep South. Like you don't like I wear jeans. I love some good denim, but 
when it's 85 degrees out and 80% humidity and you don't really have to wear pants, why would you? Well, it's I, it's interesting you said that. I don't want to dive back into psychology 101 for a second, but I'm going to because if this was an issue developed in your early childhood, I just learned, and I'm assuming you know this name, just given your general demeanor, the fact that you're a pretty smart guy, but also we were just talking about psychology. Do you know who Eric Erickson is? Yes, the uh, Republican commentator. <laughs> Not Different that type of show. Not, there is a... Uh, yeah. uh, uh. Uh, a German psychologist who I learned about this morning who was like, yeah, pretty much everything you got going on, whatever trauma you had from like ages zero to 12, that kind of defines who you are as a person. And I started looking into him this morning and boy, oh boy, did we make some connections as to who I am. It, it, it's one of those things that you can improve yourself. You could break habits. But I think that like other than like, you know, maturity and, you know, like if you're someone that's from like a, I don't want to say like a closed off area, but if you don't have a lot of exposure to other peoples, other cultures, other kind of societies, I think that that's very true. I, I, I'm someone that I believe that who you are, at least by the time you get out of college is who you are probably going to end up being in life. you like, you might improve yourself. You, you might be going through some stuff and you might have like things you to take care of, but, but Eric Erickson, the good Eric Erickson, quite a question before I say this, and I have to go back. Uh, you say German, just got to make sure we're okay here, right? <laughs> As to my knowledge, okay, we're good. good. Okay, good. To we're good here. Knowledge. <laughs> we're, 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 we're good. Making comments about hating the hippie generation and then making a, 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 <laughs> yeah. a Nazi joke. There we go. You, you, you see where the it, conflict of interest can come into play there. Right, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the show, how the show is going to be like this week, y'all. Uh, we've got Kobe, and we're going back to the buffet. It, it's sometimes, Case, you know, when you go to the buffet, you, I, I, you've not been to Vegas, right? Uh, I spent uh, approximately 26 hours in Las Vegas a few years ago. I was there helping my dad with something he was doing for his job. And gotcha. what I determined was I love the climate and I hate the people. No, no, that's entirely fair. That's entirely fair. But so so while you were in Vegas, did you get a chance to go to a vaunted Las Vegas buffet? Did not hit a buffet, hit a very fancy steakhouse, a meal that I, I cherish Ooh. greatly. I wish I could have a, I, I don't remember what it was, but I wish I could have that steak for the first time all over again. Did not hit the buffet merely because of a time crunch. I am white trash. I am low class. I have never turned down a buffet when offered. I just did not have the chance to slide my plate across uh, the buffet line that that trip. <laughs> Well, I was going with Vegas because that's like the well-known one. So so I'll just, seeing that you self-identified, I'm just going to go straight right there. You know how at Golden Corral sometimes the food might be left out a little bit too long or like the heat lamp on the prime rib is not really heating stuff up? Oh, I'm the, familiar with this concept. Uh, the, Dragon, the Dragon System Buffet, we're going to have some delicious, delicious filet tenderloin. But we also have some real trash we're going to be eating along the side as well, Case. It is it is the golden corral of the Dragon System Buffet because there's some stuff in here that is pretty damn good, whether we want to admit it or not. OK, maybe there are some preconceived notions about, in this case, certain promotions that matches are taking place in that would make me prone not to like it. But the work was so good, it rose above my expectations. And there's some trash that we're going to talk about as well. Yeah, so that's on the agenda this week. Let's just get straight into it, Case. We only had one show 
on the Drangate Network, and that's it for the month. They, they do they will not go back on air until October seventh. We have something special planned for y'all next week. Don't, don't fret. But they had one show. It was back at the friendly confines of Kobe Sambo Hall on the twenty third. It'll be up on the network until the thirtieth. And uh, yeah, okay, it's just up the t- up top, as you could probably tell. I'm not super enthused about this show. I will get into some of my deeper issues that I'm having with the show and and with the promotion right now as we get into it. But for you, uh, what were your big picture thoughts off the top? Well, there was one match that I loved. Now, granted, and, and we'll certainly get more in depth to it when we talk about it, much like the Ultimo Dragon, Naruki Doi, Masaki Mochizuki versus Natural Vibes Six Man from Dangerous Gate that we talked about last week, It is a specific style of wrestling that I absolutely adore, and I recognize that I might just be higher on this style than everybody else, hence why I kind of lost my mind over this match and certain parts of it. Outside of that, this was a show that definitely existed, and when that is the best thing you can say about a show, it's not a very good show. Yeah, uh, the, the great streak of Kobe Sambo Hall shows, I think, has broken. I think that it's fair to say we went about two years of Kobe Sambo Hall just having nonstop bangers case. But this uh, show, the 23rd, the Stormgate 2021, was not that at all. It, and it, 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 was, it, wasn't, it wasn't to the depths of your 2017 no. and 2018 shows. I mean, this was all in all, if you skip the drunk driver presentation at the start of this show, Drangate encouraging you not to drink and drive, which as I throw my X's up, that is certainly a message that I can uh, give a two thumbs up to. If you skip that and skip the opening, you know, opening presentation, whatever, it's another two hour watch. It goes by again. There's some stuff here that's really solid. Some stuff here that that wasn't great. One match that I thought dragged, and unfortunately, it was a pretty marquee match on this show. But again, not not to the abysmal levels that we saw for a while, but it certainly lacked the energy that we've seen from this building for most of this year. Yeah, so just going through the card, there was a future match. Should we talk about the future match when we talk when we dip into the future in the buffet as well? Should we hold off until there and just... Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, so let's just start starting off. We did have the drunk driver presentation. It was Dragon Daya uh, and Kota Menor making sure that we do not drink and drive, which I, I could promise I could promise you, Menor, I could promise you, Daya, I will not drink and drive. This was very effective. Hopefully it was effective for those in attendance. Opening match was the Natural Vibes tag team of King Shimizu and UT versus Dragon Kid and Kakatora of High End. But before getting into the match... KZ came out and gave an injury update, and he will be returning soon, which is the big kind of thing. That was when I was talking to people. Like the the whole situation with Shun was like, we don't know yet, but this is what he could do today. And then KZ was like, should have been a couple months, but he's a stubborn guy. And we saw tonight that, or we saw on the twenty third that both of those kind of turned out to be like the best case scenarios from both guys. Yeah, so KZ will be back at this venue next month. He will return on the, uh, they're doing a double shot in October. So the 16th and the 17th, KZ will make his in-ring return there. I thought he would be gone for longer. I, given just when he got hurt, I wasn't sure if we would see him for the rest of 2021. I, from a From a story perspective, I said this last week, where I think him getting hurt, assuming he can make a recovery, might be the best thing for his character because it just for as much as I like natural vibes for as much as I like this unit the individual that is KZ the potential main event future dreamgate champion that is KZ 
I struggle with where he goes next in this unit after losing to Shun Skywalker at Kobe World. I thought him leaving for what I thought was going to be a few months to heal up would have done him a lot of good just from a, a storytelling standpoint. Instead, he misses, what, a month and a half, two months. That's fine. Hopefully, he can come back with some sort of fresh coat of paint. I don't really know how he does that in these colors with this unit, but I'm I'm open to trying because any KZ match on a card immediately makes it a better card. Yeah, and luckily, Natural Vibes, they added Shimizu, so it wasn't like a big booking nightmare where it would be like one big Natural Vibes match and then Kamei doing a pre-show thing, so it didn't really disrupt things a lot. But yeah, no, almost for like this like needed edge that you've talked about, having him come back in December, I felt like probably would have been enough time away for that. But I mean, the fact that it seems like everything is okay, I think should be taken as a positive. At the same time, you're just kind of like, okay, and I think this was like a big moment that we that we both talked about and we've talked about with Jay when he was on the show about like what happens now for KZ and KZ fans, like taking essentially a month and a half off. Actually, it'll be close to two months. I don't know if that, unless the, like, there's like a market shift and it looks like there could be a market shift happening somewhere in this promotion. I it, It's going to be interesting to see like what is KZ now coming back because I don't think... W- like the, this time apart is enough to really do that sort of like just recalibration. No, it, it's inherently flawed, but you have to, you have to look at it from both perspectives of again, like I wish he would come back as a new man, but also him coming back is just going to bolster up some of that star power. It, and this at least opens the door for, you know, possibly final gate Yamato versus KZ. I, I certainly wouldn't hate if that's the direction they went even if that means handing KZ another Dreamgate loss, which I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I have too many questions about this Yamato reign, and it's unfortunate that one of them isn't who is going to beat him because I, I don't think we can look that soon into the future. This really seems like one where he's going to get comfortable with this title belt, and we're going to be talking about him as the champion as we head into Champion Gate and Dead or Alive and even possibly uh, out of King of Gate and into World next year which is uh, pretty scary to think about with how this rain has started off. But that is that is where we're at. But I'm glad Casey is healthy, and we'll see him next month. Yeah, so the match itself, uh, w- one note, it was Shimizu's turn to do KZ's entrance, which was Shimizu did a lot better than Kamei, who was just shouting. Uh, but Nazga's UT, who is like the most enthusiastic person to be a member of Natural Vibes ever. Uh, UT won with the passion hold on Kakatora in 12 minutes and 33 seconds. And, you know, I thought this was a pretty fun opener case, but, like, it was very clear that this was going to be some of the goofy parts on the show right here because Kakatora just, like, the guy can't help it. He just loves cracking up, and he was just being goofy all throughout the opening parts of this match. Say what you want about Kagatora. This man cannot help but crack up. That is a very, uh, th- that is going to be canon going forward. We need to establish that detail as a part of Kagatora's persona. I like this opener. I thought there was a real hot finishing stretch here. I- I- I'm not going to continue to repeat myself, especially when it comes to UT, how impressed I've been with him lately. But it's interesting seeing him in a match with obviously Dragon Kid, Kagatora, who has established his position on the roster, Shimizu, has a, who has an established presence on the roster, and to see UT be the one to uh, me, who stood out once again, kind of took control of this match and really guided it down the closing stretch, that's really impressive to me. And I, I thought this was a pretty fun opener, and given the way the rest of this card turned out, 
Uh, if you're if you're going to sit down and watch this, you might as well watch the opener. Yeah, no, this f- opener was a whole lot of fun, especially if you're someone who enjoys UT's wrestling style, which I do. It was a whole lot of fun. It just was something that is very clear what kind of match this was here, and I'm glad it was UT basically working the entire thing other than Shimizu getting a hot tag. It was UT basically for 12 minutes. Not that I dislike Shimizu, but this was a UT match, and that rocked for it, but just not a lot to sink your teeth into outside of it being a UT match. I would co-sign that. Match two was the uh, trios match. It was the veterans trio, uh, Ultimo, Mochi, Doi, versus the unaffiliated team of Takashi Yoshida, Strong Machine J, and Punch Tomonaga. Ultimo got the win in 9 minutes, 55 seconds, with a lob Straw cradle that he held on pretty much through the entirety of uh, of like the next verse of his song bit, because it would because they immediately went to Separato's case and he held the hold for what it felt like an interminably long time proving a point to the punch of Tamanaga. God, I can't I can't believe this match only went 10 minutes. This felt so long. And that's the issue that we've kind of run into uh with Punch on some of these shows is look, I like the comedy. I in a in a weird perverse way, I absolutely think Punch Tamanaga has a place on this roster, on these cards. But this was a very long, very painful 10 minutes of my life. Yeah, and uh, Strong Machine J, kind of hidden. Like, did not do a whole lot until there was, like, a two-on-one segment against a Naruki Doi in this. And then, really, this was a lot of Misaki Mochizuki just getting pissed off and punched Shomanaga. If you're a new Dragon Gate fan, this happens a lot. If you're an old Dragon Gate fan, it happened exactly as you expect. For as much UT as we got in the opening match, there was just as much Tamanaga in match number two, which is a terrifying proposition to think about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, match three, Royal Sanbo. Participants were Kinki Horiguchi, Azushi Kanda, Super Shisa, Konomawa Chikawa, Sachioko Boy, Problem Dragon, Yosuke Samaria, Hoho Loon, SP Kento, and Hio. SP Kento got the win with a snap. Uh, German suplex hold on Maria. They were the two final entrants. And, uh, yeah, another kind of Royal Sambo going through the motions, I would say. Pardon me, Mike, while I go into galaxy brain mode for a second. I hope you can stick with me on this journey. I, I'm well, buckled the, into my seat. Let's go to the galaxy. That's, that's, that's what I like to hear. Let's go to ludicrous speed to make the Spaceballs reference. We've seen SB Kento brawl. We saw it at Final Gate 2020. We've seen it in the cage match against Dragon Kid. We've seen him, again, do the big marquee style of matches in Dragon Gate. Big multi-man tags, the cage match. We've seen him have the traditional singles match, Brave Gate style of matches, and he's been killer in those environments as well. There's nothing this man can't do, and that includes doing comedy with Konamama Ichikawa. I thought the SPK Hyo Ichikawa stuff was hilarious in this match. Yeah, that was kind of the clear highlight of this, was this. It, it very quickly became Hyo and SPK against all the scrubs. Uh, Super Sisa did a double leg and then was immediately eliminated right after. It was good to see Yoshisa. Sad that it was just that. And yeah, SP Kento just like really kind of took control of this match. And it's something that like they are very much like, on. all right, he can do this. Check. He can do this. Check. So it's 
really kind of like moving our Overton window about how good this guy can be further and further away, and then it builds up your expectations about, okay, if he's a recent dojo debut, what does this say about the future kids? But I, I think it's more interesting. Like for me, these Royal Sambos, if they have a purpose, then it's okay. I guess really the purpose in this one really was the post-match stuff, building up the fact that in the double shot next month in uh, Kobe Sambo Hall, they will be doing a Open the Brave Gate number one contenders Royal Sambo of people who classify at the 82 and under kilos, people who stepped up to make it to make a entrance in there. Kakatora, UT, and Yosuke Santa Maria. There'll be more added to it. The winner of that the next day, or actually it's later that oh, that there's an error here. It is the the next day they will be facing SB Kento for the Open the Brave Gate Championship. And Case, what do you think about how they've been treating the Brave Gate since uh, really Kobe World, where they've been willing to not just have it be only big shows or big venues, that they're kind of spreading the Brave Gate around ever since SB Kento has been the center of this division. Look, I love it. I, I love that there's going to be a battle royal to determine his number one contender. I think that's a fun uh, wrinkle on this battle royal. I actually liked this one a little bit more than you. I thought the closing stretch when it was just SB Kento, Hyo, and Maria was super entertaining because the, the way they played off of how is Maria going to survive these two RED guys, and you end up with, Ho, with Hyo, who took a wicked bump in the corner that ended up getting him eliminated uh, by Maria shoving SB Kento into him. And then Maria quickly eating a bridging German suplex for the loss. I thought that was all super entertaining. And now we're put in the position where just given sort of the scrappy guys that find themselves into matches like this, whether it's UT, which is an obvious uh, choice. I think that'd be a tremendous match. Obviously me being who I am, I would love to see Shisa, pull off a miraculous victory and wrestle SB Kento. That, of course, would headline Case Low Produce and Shinjuku face SB Kento versus Super, Super Shisa. Wouldn't hate seeing it on Kobe Sambo Hall either. Even from what I saw here, you know, it's been so long since Maria has done anything of importance. And it's one of those deals where I think you have to tread lightly. I'm certainly not chomping at the bit to get a highly uh, anticipated a big match Yosuke Santa Maria performance. But if it happens, I'm not going to complain about it because when Maria is on, she can be pretty spectacular. And I, and I do think just judging from what we saw here, that SB Kento versus Maria would be a pretty damn entertaining Brave Gate match. Yeah, it's something where like we've seen the Kagatora match and I think it could, they could do it here. But I think Maria is a very interesting person to come out of this. And I think that like we've seen a lot of babyface brave gate, like underdog Maria. And that's something that like, I keep on going back to the SB Kento checklist. That is something that we really have not seen out of him is him being like this brutal dominating heel against like a big underdog. And I think that that would be really compelling for next month if they went in that direction. And, you know, it's something else to, prove even more of what this 21 uh, year old can do in the ring maria versus sb kento sounds like a car crash on paper that sounds like turnbuckles are getting exposed people are getting hit with chairs yagi is going to be distracted by hyo telling a joke in the corner while red hits a lariat train on maria whatever it is it, it is going to be a car crash if that is the match that happens 
the good thing about car crashes is that sometimes it's really hard to look away and sometimes in a perverse way they're really entertaining and it's it's a match that has me a little bit excited there's just a little bit of intrigue there where yeah that would put sb kento in a new position one that we really haven't seen him in whereas sb kento versus ut look it would be phenomenal obviously I'm all about that match. If you've listened to this podcast, even just the 30 minutes we've been talking today, I think you can pick up on the vibe that I'm a big fan of both those guys, let alone if you listen every week, you know how actively uh, I am supporting these two in their quest for greatness in Dragon Gate. That's going to be a great match. We kind of know what that's going to look like. SB Kento versus Maria, not my first pick, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out as my pick two or my pick three if my vanity pick is Shisa there slotted at number two. I think that could be a really interesting match. Yeah, and it's something that you're not really blowing. Uh, like, a UT defense, like, maybe this is just our, or at least my unrealistic expectation about him. He's a Nagoya guy. I don't think that SB Kento is going to keep the belt through dead or alive, but that they like saving UT for Nagoya and dead or alive. So, like, my expectation for it is relatively low there. And, yeah, no, if we could get, like, a 15-minute prime zone match in the middle of this with Shisa, I'd be happier than a pig in mud. I just, it just, like, seems kind of like Maria. It's been a while since Maria's had a title shot. So, I I think I've talked myself into Maria winning this Battle Royal next month. I certainly wouldn't hate it. I'm going to quickly do a search here to figure out when the last time Maria was in a, a Brave Gate match. So, I wow, I don't remember this at all. Uh, no, I do. Ishida versus Maria from Dangerous Gate of last year. That yeah. match, that match kicked ass. I completely forgot about that. The one that I do not remember. Let me see if this rings a bell to you. September eleventh, two thousand nineteen. Open the Brave Gate match in Cork and Hall. Susumi Yokosuka defeats Yosuke Santa Maria. Yeah, I remember that one. Uh, it was something that like Maria got like a flash pen the month before. She got like the it was like the Naraluchi, and she got the win off that, and that was the last defense. It, I'm trying to remember how the schedule laid in 2019. That was one of the last defenses Asumu had before dropping the belt to Ishida. Yeah, I I don't remember anything from this show. Ben K versus Kanda in a singles match. Shimizu, Eita, and Diamante versus Arakin, Saito, and Shisa. There is a number one contendership battle royal that Mochizuki won, that Bravegate match, and then Doi, Yoshino, and Yamato versus Darkness Dragon, Dragon Kid, and Ultimo Dragon, which I, I do remember that now, but I completely forgot. I, I knew they teamed. I did not remember them wrestling Doi, Yoshino, and Yamato. Yeah, that was like a late 20th anniversary thing. Like after uh, Ultimo came back and, and was, was like, we should get all the dragons back. And Kness was like, I can do this. I still have the mask. And he came out as Darkness Dragon. Yeah, and that was... That was when Ultima was still kind of finding his place in the promotion. That ended in a no contest, so I'm assuming Ato ran in and right. and did something there. Because that was, I mean, if you go back and listen to those shows or read my reviews from this this period of 2019, I am real uneasy about the presence of Ultimo Dragon in this promotion. And it, it ended up being great. I Look, I love him now. I, I get so excited when Ultima puts in any effort because I know I'm going to enjoy it. But fall of 2019 i was biting my fingernails going why are we doing battle royals what is with all this comedy bullshit and why is ultimo dragon all over these damn shows yeah no it was a very very weird time and we were still getting used to the fact that daddy was home you know it was just something that we were not ready for he he was gone for a long time you know we lived our way he lived his way it just took us a while to adjust back into that so i feel like that that was all 
really justified uh he was living that luxurious bachelor life even though i don't think he's a bachelor but judging from his instagram (laughs) you would think man this dude this dude made the right choices in life he is a swinging bachelor i mean you have seen his mask and hat room and in his house in mexico they posted right yes he's the best i would i i think i said this when john hernandez was on the podcast i would break edge for ultimo dragon that is my promise if he offers me a cigar i am going to smoke 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 yeah no i mean if he does like this like last time i had a cigar i vomited i will i i will swallow my vault my vomit in front of Ultimo oh, they dragon. seem, they seem not... absolutely terrible i think i would rather i mean Awful. you know me I, again i'm a dirtbag i would rather smoke an american spirit than a cuban cigar but oh god what a <laughs> what an awful hobby to have oh oh but you know who does not have awful hobbies that is don fuji because he teamed with Suji Kondo to face the Ahashi brothers, Riki and Ishin. Uh, it was Ishin eating a King Kong lariat from Suji Kondo in 9 minutes and 46 seconds. And let's hear it for the large adult sons. They, they've been killing I this This is the match I was alluding to. Th- this early in their career, it's not quite the young boy matches like the future matches we've been seeing. But these guys are so raw and so rough. And it's just like what we saw around this time last year before SB Kento turned heel and became SB Kento when he was still Kento Kabune. And you had him and Kikuta and Kamei and for a very brief period, Sora Fujikawa, who ripped it up with Shuji Kondo. This has become Kondo's best role, which makes sense given his history of killing people that, you know, uh, n- nearly Dragon Kid, nearly every other junior that stepped in his way for the last 15 years, that obviously Kondo is going to thrive in a position where he can beat up on the younger wrestlers. But, oh my god, did I love this. I thought this was better than their debut. This was better to me uh, than than Fuji and Kondo at Dangerous Gate. Do you uh, agree or disagree with that? I I was... I disagree, but I was... I went three and a half on Dangerous Gate. I went three and a quarter on this. Like, this is... You know, like basically at the same level, it just didn't get as much time. It didn't have the newness, but I thought that I thought that like the this Fest uh, versus Young Guys match becoming like the Dragon System staple. Like I I loved how much like uh, Don Fuji was punching Ishin in the throat, like just stuff like that, just meanness. And then this match had ten minutes of concentrated meanness, and it was awesome. Yeah, I ended up going three and three quarters on this, which again. It's my style of match. I understand that I might be higher on this than some, but oh my god, I I was I was in love with everything they did from the opening bell until Ishan took that vicious King Kong lariat for the finish. There is so much here to like. These Ahashi kids have so much fire and so much spark, and I think Charisma. we saw a little. That's they just they jump off the screen, and it's so exciting thinking about the fact that. We have a few kids who have been wrestling in the future matches for a while now. Sora Fujikawa, we saw what he could be, and now we're seeing him. I don't know if repackage is the right word, but we, we're seeing him get sent down so he can be brought back up. I think with with Ricky, I knew he was going to have some level of charisma that was really going to jump off the screen. But the fact that both of them are just... I don't know if flam, like flamboyant's not the right word because it has a certain connotation to it, but just they are peacocking to some degree when they're on camera. And it's amazing to see these guys jump off the screen, given the fact that, you know, it's not like they're super flashy. Their, their high spot 
is an octopus hold. And the fact that they're doing this double octopus hold, I've lost my mind's both my i've lost my mind my singular mind i've lost it both times they've done it i love that spot i love the photography that has come from that spot that is a spot that i am going to lose my mind over for at least the next six months i think it is such a tremendous tremendous deal that these guys are doing i thought they held their own with fuji I thought they held their own with Kondo. They hit hard. They got hit hard. They sold their asses off. They fought back. Oh, my God, this was great. And I like the little wrinkles that they have between the two. Like, Ishin was able to, early on, kind of power and trade with Kondo, whereas when, like, Riki got tagged in, he immediately ate it and was like, I can't do this, though my brother can. And I just, like, <laughs> like those little wrinkles here. The, the thing that gets me and... Maybe it's something that there's a misconception that needs to be cleared up or it's something that, you know, is more understated than we anticipated. The fact that like the loudest that this audience was, was for the Ahashi brothers. And I don't think that the Dragon Gate native fan base have any sort of recollection of SWS and Koji Ishinariki or uh, LLPW and uh, Juliana Matomo. I think that was her name. I, I blank on on their mother's name all the time. I feel terrible about it. But the fact that like in other promotions, like yeah, Dragon Gate's making a full-fledged push with them being the first ever Japanese thoroughbreds, the first ever wrestlers to have both their mother and father being pro wrestlers. And other promotions, this like imagine like if they landed in DDT or just a cyber fight promotion. You know how much Shinshiro Takagi would be pushing this, and like how much they'd be making this like everything about it. The Dragon Gate fans, I at least the misconception about it or the conception about it is that they don't necessarily follow other wrestling like to the point where like Masato Tanaka shows up and they have no idea who he is yeah. but, they, but they do know who Aja Kong is so like he had to be like a cultural figure to cross over to them but these two kids are I, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that they were the most over thing on the show and they've been wrestling for less than a month and this is on a show that has people on the show that this uh, fan base would have seen for the last 22 years I intentionally ignored the the larger crowd reactions in this match because we're, it you know a lot of positive news came out about Japan moving forward today we're headed in the right direction there but it's still the clap crowds and with these guys specifically I really don't want to push a narrative that is incorrect with them as to how over they are or aren't and I need to reach out to people in Japan to get a better idea of where that crowd connection is at, because you're right. I feel it when I'm watching it, that there is an undoubted level of investment there that this crowd is already buying into what these kids are selling to what degree that is. I'm not sure. And because we're, you know, I I don't think it's wrong to say that we're the two biggest proponents of this style in the English speaking world. I want to be very cautious about whatever narrative I put out there. I sure. agree with I agree with you in the sense that hey to me this was the most overmatch on the show going forward I really want to reach out to people in Japan and get the exact vibe of of just how over these kids are already because you're exactly right I, these guys if this was a DDT show they would have headlined a Cork and Hall already if this was Noah they never would have made it through the dojo but I rest my case yeah it's just something like yeah no it it it's 
right now blips but unless we know more we can't make into a trend you know like he's just something that was like oh it feels like these kids are yeah exactly i i i have that i had that same feeling watching it and i i I tried to almost tune out the crowd just so I couldn't feed whatever it was that I was feeling. But I, I think you're, I think you're on base or I, I think you're, uh, I, I very much agree with what you're saying there. Yeah, we'll see this will be a fun thing to track. And this is one of those things that even when like the top line stuff in the promotion, like right now is not doing a lot for me, like seeing like the evolution and like the, the maturation of like the Hashi brothers and seeing like the reaction that at least on this night, like this got me through a show that, for the most part, I was just not into, to be quite honest. So it, it, it it's probably a blip. We're going to look into this and we'll see if it's just things like, but, but I'll say this, like when I was like talking to people within the company before or after Dangerous Gate, like the, their comments on it was like, no, these kids are superstars. Yeah. So at and, least and, I mean, look, at the very, at the very least, they come across like fucking superstars. Right. Yeah. So at least internally, there is a that there is the thought that 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 these kids are already delivering. It's just interesting to see, it'll be interesting to see if it's just blips or this is something that the crowds are really invested in. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll track this as it goes along. Uh, semi main event: High End Yamato and Binke versus Red BB Hulk and Kai. Hulk got the win on Binke with a first flash in 14 minutes and 27 seconds. And Case, did we see this match before? Because I felt like we saw this match a lot before. God, I want I I want to be men in black. I want this match removed from my memory. I I'm so bummed out on the top of the card stuff right now. I really I really thought this Yamato reign would be different, and I have that same bad feeling I had five years ago with him at the top of the card. And it's crazy. Like I like I talked about last week during the spring of this year you know dead or alive through king of gate into the build for kobe world all mike and i talked about was god man yamato looks focused yamato looks ready let's get him the belt he's got the belt and i am so thoroughly uninterested in what he is doing and and i'll say this hulk looked okay hulk looked okay I, I don't think I'm he exaggerating. Like, no, he, he he didn't look good enough to wrestle a 25 minute dream game yeah. match, but he it's always been my thing with Hulk. I, you know, you're of course, he's not the wrestler he once was. This man arguably shouldn't be wrestling given the injuries that he's accumulated over the past five years, let alone the, the 10 years before that, the damage he did to his body. I don't have an issue with him as someone who who creeps their way into the twin gate scene although i complained a lot about his presence there that was just because i think he overstayed his welcome i think he can have a twin gate match every year i think he could be a triangle gate champion and i wouldn't bat an eye if you know him and sp kento and hio started holding the belts i think hulk would be perfectly acceptable in that role they are putting him over really really strong right now to a point that much like the prior build with Menorah not being anywhere in the Dreamgate picture until the week before the show, it's going to be really weird if they're building this up for something other than Hulk challenging for the Dreamgate belt. Yeah, and it's something that, again, like looking at the schedule and looking at how things plan out, like they have basically just over a month before uh, the next big show, Gate Destiny, it's traditionally, I would probably rank it number two or number three i'd say final gates number two but i rank it number three amongst the big five shows and that's a big building yes it's your company ace there but i just like if you like look at how hulk has portrayed himself and how hulk has been over the last let's just say since he returned from the neck injury to try vanguard 
he's had moments where he has great stretches. But the thing is, is that those stretches are like three to five minutes in a match. And then he tags out and gets out of there. That's not going to happen if he is the Dreamgate challenger. It's impossible to happen. And then it'll be something that it's a good thing that Yamato likes doing 10 minutes of ground grappling before the match kicks into second gear because that cuts down on the amount of time he could get hurt. <laughs> I mean, I hate saying that, but, um, but, but just like going through like the, if we had the full like medical charts of BB Hulk in front of us right now, I feel like that if we were his medical providers and we'd be having a, a privileged doctor or patient uh, conversation, we'd not be involved. We would not be intentionally or incorrectly breaking HIPAA in this. We probably would say, I don't think this is a good idea, Hulk, for you to like be putting yourself to this, given you've had multiple neck injuries, given that like you basically had your body destroyed in one match against Shingo Takagi. Don't think this is a great idea. And it's something also that with how Hulk has been portrayed since turning heel, since he was the uh, Christmas surprise in 2019, he's not even sniffed the Dreamgate picture. Now, that's a good thing because it means that he's fresh, but it's also perception-wise he does not feel like at a level to do this. And even though he's a former champion and even though he is one of the three remaining members of the big six, and that does have cachet, I just, it, it just looks like such a bad move to me to go that way route. And I really hope maybe we get some magic and someone steps in like Menorah did that can, can like say that there, because it's something that over the next month, and, and given how the next month's laid out TV-wise, they're probably going to have this match set up pretty quickly, I think, just because they go to Tokyo, then that weekend they're in Kyoto, and then they have a week off, they have that double shot we were talking about in Kobe, and then the next week they have a double header, same-day double header in Fukuoka. There's not... A, the, like, looking at that case, like, we're going to know pretty soon, I would say, and it's going to be something that's like, what can they do over the next shows to make this match actually feel like a worthy big five main event i don't think they can do that well they're doing everything right so far if you put someone else in hulk's position you would go damn they went over really really strong on the pay-per-view and then they pinned ben k clean on this show and that has cachet to it i think the build to this could be fine i just have no confidence that hulk's body can can do that I'm the last thing from the safety police, but I would have told Hulk to stop wrestling after Final Gate 2014 when, like you mentioned, Shingo just absolutely destroyed his body in one match. Granted, one of the best Dreamgate matches of all time. I'm glad they did it. But Hulk's dealing with seven years of wear and tear since then and more neck injuries since that match. I don't I don't think he can have a big five-level pay-per-view main event anymore. Yeah, and I would argue that they haven't presented him in a way to make him think he could do that as well but no seems- from, from, from what we've seen in the in-ring i have no faith again the the story that's been laid out here the way they've gotten to this point i have no issue with again hulks looked like a killer it's been on that level a success but there's just layers and layers that that i am not ready to unpack yet in terms of getting excited for this match in any way i'm going to answer your question from earlier the fact that they're treating the SB Kento Bravegate run the way they are is delightful because that gives me a title for me to sink my teeth into because I am so checked out of this Dreamgate scene right now. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see how this is in a couple weeks when they are in Tokyo where I think they'll probably set up this match. It just seems like with the schedule, it has to be there. 
the main event, it was R.E.D. versus Masquerade, revisiting it and revisiting it for good, it seems like, as it was Masquerade could have been Nora, Jason Lee, Dragon, Daya, and La Estrella versus Eita, Kaido Shida, Diamante, and Daya Inferno. Daya got the pen on Inferno with the Reptilian in 16 minutes and 52 seconds. In the post-match, everything just completely broke down, even more so than how R.E.D. and Masquerade things break down. GM Saito came out. He said that, all right, that's enough. In Tokyo, we will be having a five versus five all out war. By the way, Shun Skywalker will be back. So there will be the fifth person there. And then they said, all right, RED, you have more members. Pick your members. And then Hio, the greatest brain, the smartest man in pro wrestling, he then decided to pick basically all of the young generation of RED plus Diamante plus uh, Die Inferno. So at Corkin, it will be a all-out war five-match single single series. So there'll be five one-on-one matches between Masquerade and R.E.D., Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora, Dragon, Daya, Jason Lee, La Estrella, versus Eita, Kaido Ishida, SB Kento, Daya Inferno, Diamante. The single matches, the, the match pairings will be decided at bell time. They say it's going to be a lottery. We know if this was general manager Yagi's time, it would be a, they would probably be pulling out things out of loaves of bread here. I am wondering what Rio Saito is. He, is he going to like have like little be- like little bicycles or something to decide oh, this happens? Oh my god! They look get get in contact with Rio Saito. I think he I think he follows us on Twitter. We need to make the little bicycles happen. Oh my god! I've never wanted anything more in my entire life. Maybe, oh, maybe this is boy. too much like uh, first generation WWE NXT, but maybe they should have like a you know a unicycling contest to see like all right the first the first two people from each team across the line they're going off against each other and so forth and so on. There's a lot of ways they could play off of all the mini incarnations that Rio Saito had, or it could just be a middle school vice principal and order things but they have to do something. However they get there, I don't care. I am so excited for this all-out war. This is the type of stuff that I've been talking about, and and I'm glad that, you know, to whatever degree Saito actually has power, I don't know, and I, I think it's very little, but him becoming the GM and bringing back stuff like this, I am really into, because this is the type of stuff that I thought we were going to get during R.E.D. versus Toriumon versus Drangate last year, the generational warfare, where I thought we would see, say, the Toriumon generation pulling out their signature matches and trying to beat the other units with it. This is going to be a super, super fun series. I think all five of these matches, no matter what the pairings are, are going to deliver because I've talked about it all year. R.E.D. versus Masquerade has been tremendous. They've, yes, kind of missed that one singular marquee match that I can point to. The match at Kobe World was great. I think I gave that four and a quarter. I, I think four and a half and above would be ideal for that. That's getting real nitpicky and real idealistic. The fact is they've been tremendous together all year, and this all-out war has me pumped. After a September that didn't do a ton for me, a pay-per-view that I liked a lot but I still thought had issues, this all-out war in Cork and Hall a venue that has not hosted a great show yet for Drangate this year. They've really struggled in Tokyo. This has me so, so excited. Yeah, and it's something where this is going to be the big unit feud. It's a nice thing, and now that we're able to look back, it's like, all right, so the story of 2021 really is R.E.D. versus Masquerade. We, we kind of got that with Shun defending the title against Ishida, Sakamoto, and Kakuda. 
but now we're really getting into it here. There's a lot of interesting combinations here. Like you'd be tempted to do Diamante versus La Estrella, but I kind of want to see Kaido Ishida versus La Estrella. There's just a lot of stuff here. And, you know, this kind of, I feel like we were really looking for some direction in whatever the landscape was this year. Like, it just felt like the whole thing with, like, Naruki Doi, the fact that there's way too many unaffiliated people. There's arguably enough people, not just for a fifth unit, but a sixth unit on the roster. This is going to be the main thing going forward, and it's something that... Gotta think that if they're doing this here, then I think they might be settling a lot of R.E.D. versus Masquerade business across the back half of the year, and would not be surprised at this point to see that first December cork and having a disbands match so they have a clean slate going into 2022. I love that. I I am really excited about this. I, I think from a storytelling perspective, this is going to hit, and I really hope w- whatever combination it is, you know, if it's Minora versus Ata, if it's Jason Lee versus Ata, if it's Ishida versus Estrella, like you said, there's going to be one combination in here that I think is going to really deliver uh, the, the match in Kobe was on the lower end of things they've done this year. I thought the match was just yeah. okay. I went, I went three and a half with it. I am all aboard the all out war at Cork and hall though. I'm really, really excited for that. I was slightly higher. I was three and three quarters, but yeah, this was on the lower end here. A lot of great Jason Lee in this, like he took the prolonged heat in the opening. La Estrella set a new bowling high score as he went into the second row. <laughs> when they he took out a, a, I don't know if it was a, ca- I don't remember if it was a cameraman or a young boy. He took someone out in the process yes. too. It was, oh my god, that bump is insane. He he rolled a strike there. Uh, the, the, the like the one thing, like the one wrinkle to this match that really got me was there was this one like stretch that it was Inferno and Diamante teaming up of each other, and they were showing like some great chemistry. That I was like, you know, this is something about like the red masquerade matches that i really enjoyed that we weren't getting a whole lot of different uh lately it was like all right red as a heal unit it's larger than all the other units it's just always kind of been that way you get to see interesting combinations here and inferno and diamante didn't get a whole lot of that when the uh, matches were really hot because uh because dragon dia was injured and they kind of had inferno went to wherever inferno goes when dia is not around but getting to see those two kind of just do some teamwork together was really kind of exciting there and it's something that I, this is the thing, like, underline it. I don't think I'm speaking too much out of turn in saying this. This seems like this is the direction, at least big picture-wise, for the remainder of 2021. And I'm really stoked for it, and I'm glad that we are getting to this step here. Because it's just getting kind of ridiculous with how the unit, lands, the, the, the unit like landscape and shakeups were going. I mean, Maruki Doi, make up your mind, man. Yeah, if this is the direction they go, if this is the main focus outside of the Dreamgate title, then I I am all for it because for as good as it's been, RED versus Masquerade that is, at some point it has to it has to come to an end and we might as well disband one of those units and we might as well have those teams those two teams wrestled out to decide who survives. So I'm all for it. Yeah, and it could be something also that if we're just completely looking down the road, uh Masquerade could use uh the I think Masquerade would win this. And I think Masquerade could use getting being the second unit to uh, legally or like correctly disband a heal unit. I think that's something that Masquerade could really use moving into year two. But yeah, no, this is exactly the kind of stuff that like I'm glad that the show ended on this note because before that I was like, this is it was something that, that like this Cork and not this Cork and show this Kobe Sumo Hall show, not bad. 
but just unsatisfying up until really that point. You raise an interesting point here, and I just want to talk about this briefly because I'm all, all my thoughts here are going to be half-baked. I really haven't thought about this until now. But Masquerade, let's you know say they've existed since the beginning of December. I think they got their branding on that second Cork and Hall show last year. But we saw that Hokkaido triple shot where those guys were teaming with one another, and it was really entertaining. They've had the Dreamgate champion. They've had titles pretty much the entire year. Minora became a big star challenge for the Dreamgate belt. There is that, I guess, underlying tension between Minora and Skywalker because they really haven't played into it, but that that is a unit that has two credible Dreamgate contenders. And if you look at the landscape right now, I don't I don't know if R.E.D. has that. They have Ata and maybe Ashida and I guess maybe Hulk if you're feeling generous. Natural Vibes just has KZ and Susumu on the back burner. And, you know, Yamato, you have obviously or high end rather you have Yamato who is the champion and then Ben K the former champion but Masquerade has two guys there that are are really I think doing their best work right now and at the top of the card and then you've got Daya Lee and Estrella who have held titles this year you know obviously the Triangle Gate Championships is Masquerade the unit that would break up there what what else is there for Masquerade to do because I worry for as much as I love this unit my favorite unit. I love the new t-shirt they've got. I, I wish it was available on Pro Wrestling Tees. I'd buy it in a heartbeat. Is this unit existing going to hold Coach Minora back going forward? Does that does that make sense the way I laid that out? Yeah, because Minora is the person that you look at this because Shun is your one. Minora was number two moving up to 1A. And he's so young that I have... And he's kind of come along as... It, a microphone worker from what we can tell. I think that now, like if we're just completely going galaxy brain, we, we've strapped in, we're going to the moon here. Uh, I think now you can make a claim that maybe he is maybe not the one, but one of the uh, big players in the next heel unit, because he could use that now, if that makes sense. Uh, is it outlandish to say, and you know, we'll certainly have the opportunity to do this next week, but is it outlandish to say if Drangate just took the eraser to the whiteboard right now, started from scratch, that Minora could lead his own unit? I would want to have a really strong veteran number two there. I would really want to have like your Mochizuki there with him. But yeah, he could with help. Could Minora be the leader if Dragon Kid was his number two? Dragon Kid as number two to Kota Minenora. I would have to see what the rest of the unit is to be per to be completely honest. Just because okay. like the, the Dragon Kid, he's known as like a he he has a character he plays, and especially like in the all important like microphone work, like there is a character that he could play. You'd still probably want another microphone worker with them just so that like you'd have someone to step in when dragon kid is being annoying to Minor. Minor is getting flustered like this is where it, it this is it would not be nuruki doi nuruki doi is much too big to be a number three in any sort of unit going forward but this is where you'd want to have like a nuruki doi to step in and go shut up dragon kid you're annoying and then like reassuring Minor. but yeah you could do it you just would have to have other parts to complement that if it makes sense I think that's a very interesting thought exercise there. That's something I would be thinking about a lot as we head into the latter half of the year, or I guess the latter quarter of the year, rather. But Mike, I'm ready to head to the buffet. I don't know about you, but I, I am ready. In the hobby, 
it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network all right so this time at the buffet this is what we're serving y'all we're, we're going to go back to the future we love talking about Dragon Gate Future. We, there was a future match on the show that we we're going to talk about. There was one that I pointed out that we did not watch yet that was interesting little wrinkle there. Then we will be getting into the, the Tenryu project <laughs> on this show. We'll be talking about Arakan and, and Tenryu project. And then we'll be closing this out talking about one of the best wrestlers of all time, Masaki Mochizuki, as he was in the N1 Victory Tour tournament and his final block match against Kano. So interesting sampling platter we have here today. So first off, let's just talk about this since we we're already talking about Sambo Hall. Uh, the future match on the show was Takuma, was Takumi Hayakawa and Sora Fujikawa. It was a five-minute uh, exhibition. And I thought this was a really kind of interesting match and really showed us a lot about Hayakawa going forward, I thought. Yeah, I, this was a, a ton of fun. This was actually one of the scrappier future matches that we've seen so far, and I certainly cannot object to that claim there. I think Hayakawa is 
going to be super exciting from the word go. Yeah, and it's something where, like we talked, you mentioned Sork Fuchikawa earlier. It does seem like that they're kind of taking their racer to him being a 2020 debutee, and now we're, they're considering him a part of the future project. Uh, it, it's something where, like, I felt like that Sora was kind of, I don't want to say outclassed, but he was not the focus of this. Or it was something that this really showed Hayakawa's skills here. Uh, it was really scrappy, though. Like, they, they fought over dueling head scissors <laughs> for, like, the, the first minute there. and then... it, it was, that's, you hit on it there. Sorry to cut you off. But, you know, th- I, look, I think when Fujikawa is brought back up to the main part of the show, I think he's going to hit the ground running. I am a, a complete believer in him. Does he need to shave his facial hair? Absolutely. I, I think unless he is going straight into the heel unit, then my man needs to get a clean shaven face. Dollar Shave Club, com. if we still have that promo code from about six years ago. But uh, <laughs> this was not his match. This was the this was the Hayakawa show, and it showed exactly what he can do. He's somehow, I think, even smaller and scrappier than Kamei was, which is a, a terrifying thing to think about when you have the, the prospect of putting him in the ring with a Mochizuki or a Benkei or a Shuji Kondo. But... This guy can hold his own, at least in the in the scenarios we've seen so far. He is someone who is going... I, the, the thing is, I, I can say the same thing about Hayakawa that I said about Fujikawa, and I'm going to say it about Fujiwara in just a second, is we just saw what the Ahashi brothers could do coming out of the future class. We've seen what Kamei and Kakuta and SB Kento did uh, out of, you know, what was, you know, the evolution of this. We saw how they hit the ground running all of these guys, I think, to a degree, are going to have immediate success. The issue that we see in Drangate sometimes is sustaining that success. But I think all of their debuts, whenever they happen, are going to be electric. I think Hayakawa is, because he's a little bit more built than Kamei ever was, or I think will be. Kamei just doesn't look like a guy who's going to be able to really put on the muscle. I think Hayakawa might end up being like Espy Kinto, where you think like, oh, he might be a little short, but then like we see him in the ring against people that were like, okay, he's not as short as we anticipated. It's just not going to be an immediate thing with him. Whereas with uh, with Sora, I don't know. Like Sora did have a crowd connection in a couple of matches, and it was an incredible cr- crowd connection. And he's a little bit older. I think he's about the same age as uh, the Ahashi brothers. But I kind of feel like that he's had I, – I need to see more of Sora now because I feel like that he is – in all of these matches I've seen of him in future, he just hasn't – he's felt like a passenger in exhibition shoot grappling matches. Which but, but I think that's, that's okay because we've seen what he can do on the regular cards. I think this is an awkward position for him to be in because we've seen him unleashed to some degree. And now they're telling him to put that back in the cage. I think it's just an awkward spot for him to be in. Whereas with Hayakawa and with Fujiwara, we're seeing them at their maximum so far. And it's only going to get more and more as they progress. What's interesting. You talk about the size of Hayakawa here, going back to that Kobe show real quick. I was taken aback by the fact that Kondo was taller than both of the Ahashi brothers because I thought they projected really big at Dangerous Gate. They seemed like much bigger dudes than they actually are. And I think that's a compliment to them, if anything, but I was just surprised that they were actually as short as they are. Yeah, it was a little bit surprising. Uh, uh, Riki Ahashi is 
165 centimeters and uh Ishin is 168 so it, it it is something that they they do come across a little bit bigger than than you'd expect but then you'd see like Don Fuji is 10 centimeters taller than Ricky he's 175 so like it is something that like the fact they have this charisma when they aren't as big as we anticipate, I think is pretty remarkable. And oh yeah, uh, Kondo is 172. So it, it, it's something where like, I wonder if, like, because of course the thing with Dragon Gate is it doesn't matter your size, you'll get an equal opportunity. They do not have unnecessary restrictions like other Japanese wrestling uh, performance centers. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know, like, like that's why with like Hayakawa more so than Kamei, I think Hayakawa can move out of the projection that Kamei is kind of locked in, if that makes sense. But but it, and it's something at the same time that like I wonder with like because you have some you have some tall, lanky people at least like comparatively on this roster, and that's going to be something when like you have Shun Skywalker, who is the to my knowledge the tallest person on the roster who natively in the ring against Kame, we haven't really seen that or in the ring against Hayakawa. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair. The other future match that we had, this was the reason why I picked this one. It's like, hey, we should check out this. It's the only future tag team match so far. So it is from the Sambo Hall show from July 22nd. It is in its own special category on the Dragon Gate Network. The teams were in green, Takumi Hayakawa and Ishinahashi, and then Takuma Fujiwara and Riki Ohashi in the black. It's a fun exercise watching this match after you've seen the two Ihashi matches that have made tape so far because they come across, you know, very talented, like they're they certainly have potential, but to me at least, they came across like they were different humans than who we saw at Dangerous Gate. Yeah, so like maybe that's like the thing you're talking about, like Sora holding back because that yeah, really I, was yeah, exactly really was the case here. Uh, my my big takeaway is I did do a little bit of my own like future rankings, and this is just my own perspective. I I imagine case you you'll say that I'm a crazy person. I think I think Takuma Fujiwara might be the most talented person in this class. Oh. Uh, he's I'm I'm claiming him as mine. I was very yeah. upfront about Kento Kabune. I'm taking Takuma Fujiwara right there with me. Okay, this kid is going to be so good. He is yeah. handsome. He has a nice drop kick, and that is all he needs right now. In the future, he is going to add more. But handsome and drop kick, good enough for me. Yeah, and it's something where like you have someone like Ishin who. They're going to ride the Ahashi brothers as long as they should. But Ishin, he probably with his size could be a really interesting bully, I feel like. like Because like, he's, a, he's a stockier guy. I love the black and pink singlet. But it's something that like you, you're going to need some uh, bad boys out there. And I feel like that Ishin, even though you know he, he respects his mom so much, he's going to let her down. But he's going to be bad. Eventually. He's going to be a bad guy too. So, like, my current ranking as I did as I was doing this match. So, Fujiwara is number one. I think Ishin is number two. Then Hayakawa, Riki, and Sora at this point. Yeah, I think that's probably fair from specifically the future rankings. Again, I'm I'm really into what we've seen from Fujiwara right now. I like him a lot. Obviously, I think just given what I know about you, 
Hayakawa is going to be someone that connects with you on a pretty immediate level. And as I stated before, I, I'm not worried about Sora Fujikawa. I think he's just in a very uncomfortable and awkward holding pattern right now. I think once the gate, uh, you know, once the gate is is let go and he's able to roam free, we're going to see Sora Fujikawa as we saw him in the in the summer of 2020. Yeah, that's entirely fair. So that was our stop in the future, I imagine, because there's more kids and we'll get a chance to see. I know there's like one person in the project that I've not seen a match of theirs yet that I, I was not able to add into that. But we'll, we'll keep on checking in with that in case the first match you selected for us from the Tenryu project on August 23rd. This is for the Independent Junior Tag Team Championship belts. It was the reigning champions of Kanichiro Rai and Shota of Ganbari Pro versus Tatsuhito Takaiwa and Kamikaze. Mike, you have the floor. This is your match. First of all, <laughs> give the people a little history lesson on the Tindru Project International Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles. And second of all, this is your boy. Yeah, this is my boy. You have to have, love someone through the good times and the bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and after watching this match, I was wondering, I was like, Case, well, did I do something wrong? Did I get something? That's, okay. <laughs> So look, it, this is an 18 minute tag match that features Kamikaze, which is I I'm sorry to put you through that because Kamikaze is and always has been a terrible pro wrestler. The thing is, this was not th look, I went 3 3 stars, maybe 3 and a quarter with this. Thought it was kind of fun. Thought this was a kind of fun match. It is kind of fun in the context. I can never watch Tenru Project shows from beginning <laughs> to end. I can never follow no, it. I mean, no, who would? <laughs> I, I mean, Case, I, I wanted to pull this up just because I find it really kind of funny to me. So the deal with them is that their attendance at Shinkibo was like 82, and then they stopped announcing attendance, which tells you one thing right now. Uh, so the so so the uh, I so the IJ Junior Tag Team titles. They are originally from WAR. Uh, when they when Dragon Gate was formed, they were no longer able to use the tag belts that they were using in Toribon and blanking on them at the moment. So because there is a strong history, like Tenryu is someone that, like Ultimo is the papa, Tenryu is like his friend from college. And, you know, there was enough people that there's, there's like a strong history. Like if you want to like go like, okay, how did Toribon really happen? Like where did people come from? WAR is number one. So they brought this tag belt over, and Jay talked about this during Dangerous Gate. Uh, they, uh, during the first, or I think it was the first Summer Adventure Tag League, the, it was a cash prize that uh, Doyoshi won, and they decided to make the United Gate, not the United Gate, the Twin Gate, United Gate, that's a DGUSA. They decided to make the Twin Gate belts, and then the people who I believe held the IJ belts at the time was Araiwa. So it was Kenichiro Arai and Taku Awasa. And they did a unification match. And it just never really was ever said in, outside of Japan that this was a unified tag team title. But it was for a decade and a half until Tenryu decided to restart the Tenryu project. Uh, I don't think Dragon Gate knew that Tenryu project was being reformed. <laughs> I don't think they knew that the International Junior Heavyweight Tag Team title belt was being reactivated, but it was. I think they discovered it when Kenichiro Rai brought the belt to Cork and Hall one month, and they're like, "Okay, I guess we're no longer unified." And the uh, they had like a full on like tournament to decide the first champions. That it was uh, the winners of this tournament were Shota and Kenichiro Rai, and boy, 
Chinichiro Tenryu, you have better things to do in your life than to run this absolute just dirt bag depressing promotion where like they don't even bother turning on the lights and shin and shinkiba first room case like they keep the lights on dark because no one should want to watch this promotion it is that dark and just depressing i mean the fact that this was the second match on the show and probably you know i would say looking at the people on this card okay that that's not fair that there was Hikaru Sato versus Keita Yano. That probably was not bad. But like looking at this, Kohei Sato, Mazada, Kingo Meshimo, and Shigehiro Irie versus Masayushi Kono, Yuya Susumu, Toru, and Leona. That might have been the best match on this show. That match also went 24 minutes, which is insane. Just, now, So it was not the best match on that show. Let me take no. that back now. There's no way that was better than this arc and tag. Now, a few things about that eight man, just while we're in this ballpark, of course, long time open the voice gate listeners, like people from that have listened from episode one. know we're not allowed to say anything bad about Leona on this podcast. If you know, you know, but I'm fascinated by this Kingo, Kohei Sato, Mazada and Shigehiro Iri uh, uh, quartet, because that is team wasted potential. That is team. What could have been that is team bad <laughs> business decision. And they in Tenru lumped them in like it was an inside joke almost. I mean, bravo With to him Toru for that and Leona against <laughs> for 24 minutes, 24 minutes case. Leona Tenry, can't what are for you five doing? minutes. Leona couldn't handle a five-minute exhibition match. He's in there in an eight-man tag for 24 minutes. Just like, I am certain that there are people who have money in Tenryu Project who really wanted this match here, but, but Denisha Tenryu, you had one of the best retirement matches of all time. You had like such a moment legit selling out Sumo Hall in your final match. Just chill. Just enjoy it. Don't have this bad promotion existed. But yeah, no, this match, it it was considering that I don't think Takiwa uh, has had a good match in 10 years and Kamikaze never had a good one. Arakan and uh, Shota, like I've seen a little bit of Shota. Shota's fine. I, but I was going to ask, what, what do you know about Shota? Because do like I, I was looking at this match through the perspective of could Arakan and Shota defend these titles on a Dragon Gate show? The answer is absolutely no. They are not on that level. But running <laughs> through, you know, either DDT undercards or uh, I uh, Ganbari Pro shows, w- whatever sleazy indie you want to throw Arakan and Shota in. These guys are kind of a fun tag team. They had a unique chemistry, both in the sense that they were wearing, uh, the, I don't know what you would call Arkans outfit, the janitorial jumpsuit. They kind of had the matching gear there. And I just thought they played off of each other very, very well. Yeah, no, like, like they they have something here. Uh, I, I would, our European fans would know this as a boiler suit, which I think is actually a better name than like a work suit, jumpsuit, a boiler suit. It was basically, it looked like he finally got a new, uh, work suit to replace the deep drunkers one that he had yes yeah but like yeah no it's a fun act i don't think that it's a dragon gate level act but i'll say this if they were doing and they never they don't really do this if they were doing a small tokyo area show and it was like someone's homecoming and kanisha was like hey i could bring shota in and we could do like a title match for these title belts here that would be totally fine but this this act cannot ever go to cork and hall under the Dragon Gate banner. 
No, uh, again, it's pretty rough. Now, I, I think Takaiwa held his own here. I think he has a fascinating career. I, I don't think he's capable of ever producing greatness. I don't think he's been able to do that, like Mike said, for about 10 years. I thought he was, you know, uh, perfectly acceptable in this match, given that it was a semi-main event for a Tenru Project show. Kamikaze is offensively bad. He threw a spin kick in this match that was <laughs> offensive to me, and I can't throw spin kicks. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely dreadful. Yeah. But... On the whole, again, pretty fun match, and we'll make sure that the 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 links to this, the future match, and the match we're about to talk about are all in the uh, in the episode description, so you too can watch this Tenru Project show. Uh, I just looked this up. Uh, this has been a really long term tag team for Kanichiro Rai. Just so someone who's like a deep Indies person doesn't come at us. Uh, Hatoshite Good is their tag team name. They are former four time Guts Pro, Pro Wrestling Tag Team Champions. That's four that's times. fantastic to hear. Four time champions, four time, four time, four time, four time. That is that is good to hear. I will say this, Mike. If the Open the Voice Gate Patreon ever launches, or maybe if you know Aaron Bentley is cooking those books and you need a little bit more money on the Everything Elite Patreon, going through what we can find from the Tenru Project International Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship matches would be a really fun project because this these are titles that have been held by the likes of Gato and Lionheart, Lance Storm and Yuji uh, Yorisakawa, who also held the boat belts with Tomohiro Ishii twice, Masaki Mochizuki and Battle Ranger, former champions, Otani and Takaiwa, the legendary junior heavyweight tag team, they held these belts, and then Mochizuki and Fuji, Gato and Jado, Rio, uh, uh, Rio Saito and Susumu Yokosuka, Araken and Awasa, and then Speed Muscle, before you end up in some weird michinoku pro offshoot uh, uh deal or i guess osaka pro rather where black tiger and uh maso ohari ohara rather have the belts this is a fascinating lineage of, of tag team champions i know i butchered a few names in there deal with it but this is a fascinating lineage of tag team champions so i i'm looking at the same thing you are and it turns out that uh tenru activated these title belts 10 11 years ago and dragon gates did not care about it until kenichiro rai showed up with it no, why Why would they? But, I mean, these Tenru Project shows are out there, and then they were defended on some Diamond Ring shows because Nakajima and Satoshi Kajawara, who I, I like and who I miss as a wrestler, these these had to have been filmed because almost all those Diamond Ring shows made tape, at least I think. So there's yeah. there's a project worth doing here for financial compensation. Yes, and that's a, and it's going to take that financial compensation <laughs> for me to have to watch more Tenery Project. I'll, I'll put it that way. And then our the main course that we had, Kays, is, as I mentioned earlier, from Pro Wrestling Noah, earlier this week, the uh, N1 Victory Tournament, Masaki Mochizuki versus Kano, where a real looper match, where it's... Mochizuki probably saw a lot in Kano that reminded him of himself, I felt like, during this match. Uh, this was the best Mochizuki match that I have seen in two years. This was absolutely phenomenal. The last time I was this high on a Mochizuki match, he had two in 2019 that I adored. The Shun Skywalker King of Gate match, which I, I thought was just so incredibly underrated. It was a top 10 match for me in 2019. I think it was my number 10 in the Voices of Wrestling match of the year poll. And then the October Dreamgate challenge that he had against Ben K in Cork and Hall, which was another top 10 match for me that year. Those two I gave four and three quarters to. Last year, I did not have a match uh, at that level. 
nor did I have one at four and a half stars for Mochizuki, which I, I thought this was. This was a four and a half star match for me. One of my favorite matches I've seen this year. It's something where Mochizuki is it, something that each time you see him, he he might play the hits a little bit, but he'll do a new thing and he'll change it up a little bit. The fact that he decided to go to his tried and true of beating up someone's stomach so much they don't want to wrestle anymore, and he did it on the outside, rocked so much. Uh, this is actually like like the, the greatest kind of person to face Kano. Like I really do enjoy Kano. I do. I, I know I make jokes about it. But I really enjoyed like his run as GAC champion. I'm sure that was like his rise to that was like the last time I actively pay attention to Noah, really. So like the fact that of course he's gonna get pissed off at Misaki Mochizuki. Misaki Mochizuki in his way is like, oh, the, you don't like this. Okay, I'm gonna do this a lot. It's just fascinating stuff. I was a little bit lower than you, I was four and a quarter, but this was like considering that Mochizuki kind of is just doing what he wants now. He, as long as he's really focusing so heavily into Noah, we're not seeing him really at the level he should be at in Dragon Gate, but seeing him still have these kind of matches like two years after he's really had a notable one is just something that it warms your heart. I mean, he's going to turn 52 in three months, and the fact that he's still having these nonstop bangers and the fact that like little things like knowing that there was like the making sure he did his high corner kick in the corner that had the uh, camera there. Thank you. A and cyber agent for doing that and having like the best ever sp- like shot for using a corner camera. Because if you listen to everything elite and if you like listen to the other stuff by AEW, I feel like that they completely massively misuse that camera. This was the best ever qu- corner camera shot that i've seen in recent memory and just like this match just was non-stop and then eventually cano had to choke the old man out because he was just not gonna go down there he turned a double stomp into a crucifix pen like you just have to you just have to make him go to sleep and it just owned for that i don't want to correct you mike but masaki mochizuki pointed out on his twitter that yes he tapped out to the sleeper hold but he was more affected by the the leg wrap that Kano had around his waist than the actual chokehold that he implemented. And I just, I would hate for you, Mike, I care about you. I would hate for you to be on the wrong side of Masaki Mochizuki. So I just want to clarify that this was an abdominal based submission that Kano applied. And that is why Mochizuki tapped out the leg grapevine with an added sleeper hold. Thank you. I just, I just I just want to make sure you guys are cool. I know you're going to dap him up when we're in Japan in a few years. I would hate for there to be any awkward interactions because Masaki Mochizuki has now called out the Noah commentators twice during the N1 for missing subtle things about his matches, which is my favorite feud of the year. It's so much better than RED versus Masquerade or MJF versus Jericho or whatever else people like this year. Mochizuki versus the Noah commentators is my feud of the year. I want to hit on a few specific spots here. One, Masaki Mochizuki countered a Kano double stomp with a punch to the stomach. And that sounds insane. That sounds ridiculous, but it looked so real and so intense in the moment. Only someone like Mochizuki with that elite 1% level timing that he has could pull off that spot without it looking utterly ridiculous. He also hit 
like a short-legged super kick in this match. He threw Kano off the ropes and just kicked him in the jaw in a way that I've never seen Mochizuki throw a kick before. That was my favorite spot of the match. I lost my mind at that. And then again, you know, they they just had he, he's going to be 52 and they had these intricate strike exchanges where if the timing is off by one second, the entire thing falls apart. And Mochizuki was there in the right place at the right time every single time. And Kano held his own. Look, I love Kano. I wish he worked for literally, I think, any other promotion because this is not this is not the place for him. He he is better than what Noah provides him. He's better than what Noah has provided him really since he jumped from Michinoku Pro. I I'm not even being facetious, and I know this will bother some people. I think Kano versus Yamato, the match that's going to be on the Amazon Prime show, that is so much more interesting to me than anything else Yamato could possibly do unless they run back Yamato versus Skywalker or Yamato versus KZ. I am so bummed that that match is happening, but it's happening on a show that doesn't matter because that matchup sounds fascinating to me. I, I really like Kano. I love Mochizuki. I want to make one more point here that, that this match was very interesting to me because I've tried to watch Mochizuki's Noah stuff. And there are some things I've missed here and there. I don't think I watched all of the Mochizuki Marafuji tag matches that were there. I'm not watching every six man that he's in, but during the end one, I do make an active effort to sit down and watch everything that Mochizuki does that makes tape. This is the first time in Noah. And he's been here for a few years now where I've really seen a Masaki Mochizuki style of match in Noah. This is the type of thing that would have fit in on Stormgate or Dangerous Gate or King of Gate. This match would have fit into the environment that we've seen Mochizuki cultivate for so many years, which is very interesting to me because even in the past when he's wrestled Nakajima, it's felt like it's had maybe the reverence or simply just the structure of a pro wrestling Noah match. Last year, Mochizuki wrestled Goshi Ozaki in the N1. I know everybody was salivated for Goshi Ozaki last year. I thought he was tremendous. I thought Nakajima was better, but I thought Shiozaki was tremendous last year, and one of his best matches was the Mochizuki N1 match. That was Mochizuki being plugged into a Goshi Ozaki match. Now, I got news for you. Masaki Mochizuki could be plugged into any match, and he would make it great. That was one of my favorite matches on a personal level of last year, because I thought Mochizuki was so brilliant working the main event Noah style. This was so interesting, though, because on a show where you had Muto versus Kiyomiya, which, look, I am not going to lie to you, I did not watch that. But on a show that had even something like Nakajima versus Sakuraba, you know, those all seem to have their places in, in this respected mainstream world of Japanese pro wrestling. And then you throw in Mochizuki, and, and I'll be damned if he did not just look like the best wrestler in the world on this show. And he's 51 years old. It doesn't make any sense. It's just something that that's why he's one of the five best wrestlers of all time. I mean, that just puts, like, a nice bow on it. He's he's one of the best five wrestlers of all time. So, like, I think that even with, like, expecting that, like, if DGMLW is still alive and if it happens, if he can't, comes over... Even though like MLW crowd be like, oh, he's a Dragon Gate guy, and they think he does one thing, I think he went over the crowd because we saw it in DGUSA with people that weren't necessarily always familiar with him. He just is someone that like he understood Noah. That's like, oh, I'm doing these matches because is what they expect here. And then versus him and Kanoa, this is like, uh, I'm gonna make a really flavored analogy here. Case, uh, how familiar 
familiar are you with LBJ? Uh, as in Lyndon B. Johnson? Yes, Lyndon Baines Johnson, the president of the United States. I, I can't say I'm super familiar, so I'm really curious to see where this goes. All right, because uh, he was Texan, he became a central point of my history education, as one would expect. Uh, I went down to the LBJ Ranch. It's really cool. If you're in the Austin-San Antonio area, it's worth going to LBJ Ranch. They, they, they talk about how he was an absolute asshole and drove people into his, uh, into his river because he had a waterproof car and he knew that he could piss people off. That's kind of the person LBJ is. But the analogy I was making is uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, when he left, the White House. When he stepped aboard uh, Marine One, which is the official name for whatever helicopter the United States sitting president is on, he started lighting up a cigarette for the first time and I think it was like 30 years. His daughters looked at him and said, Daddy, why are you doing this? And he said, for the last however long, I gave everyone else this time. I've been, I've been congressperson, I've been senator, I've been vice president, I've been president. Now it's my time. This match was Mochizuki having his time after doing all of the what is expected in Noah. He's just going to go out there and have a Mochizuki match, just like Lyndon Baines Johnson, lighting a cigarette immediately after leaving the White House. Look, I cannot argue that, Mike Spears. Well done. A tremendous analogy to cap off this Open the Voice Gate episode. I have nothing more to add other than go watch <laughs> Mochizuki versus Kano. Yeah, go watch Mochizuki versus Kano. Uh, we will be back next week. There is no Dragon Gate televised shows until until October seventh in Cork and Hall with the uh, with the five versus five RED versus Masquerade All Out War. But we still have another week before that case, and we have something special cooked for the listeners. We are going to do each of our own complete unit shuffles for next week's show. Yeah, a no, little bit of a a little bit of fantasy booking, but we're not going to be annoying about it. We're going to be very realistic about it. Yeah, no, we're going to be realistic about it. We're we're putting together our new units. We don't have. I if you want to name yours, case you can. I was probably just going to name them after whoever the leader is or whichever one was the heel unit. But we'll do this, and hey, uh, afterwards, uh, send us y'alls, and we'll we'll bring that up next week as well. But you could follow the podcast at Open Voice Gate. You can follow Case at underscore in your case, and I'm at Fujiheya. Thank you for listening to the Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week with the Unit Shuffle. Take care.